Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST app, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz. I am Leon Gittler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number 20 in our series for 2020, and today's date is Friday the 19th of June. First, I'll be talking to Ipsos Australia Director David Elliott on results of its latest ongoing survey into COVID-19. The survey found that Australians are divided in their opinions about opening businesses due to concerns that it puts too many people at risk of COVID-19. And I'll be talking to IFM Investors Chief Economist Alex Joyner on what's happening with our recession. But now, let's talk to David Elliott. David Elliott, tell us about this Ipsos survey that finds that Australians are quite split on agreeing whether there's minimal risk in returning to work. What's your view about that? When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Yeah, it's interesting, Leon. Um, Ipsos has been tracking global perceptions of COVID and the pandemic and attitudes and behaviours since mid-February. And, and what we've seen, certainly through May, is a growing... I guess, tension between a desire to open businesses and restart the economy, but that's mixed with a lot of anxiety about people doing that and about people leaving their homes. So in this latest piece, what we did was we asked people, said there's two opinions out there. One is that we need to open businesses to get the economy moving. And the other opinion is that opening businesses now is going to put too many people at risk. And for Australia, people were really evenly divided with 
49% saying too many people at risk versus 51% saying, look, the risk is minimal. We really need to get moving. And uh, they were also fairly divided on whether jobs will come back, weren't they? Yeah, again, it was really even split. So we asked about whether we think that jobs lost during the lockdown will return. And what we saw there is 47% believe they will return and 45% believe they won't return. Globally, there was more people saying most jobs lost during the lockdown will not return. I think the other thing, interesting thing we saw there is both in Australia and globally, it was older citizens who were a bit more sceptical about the return of jobs. And so we saw in Australia, certainly, that 47% of those in that 45 to 74-year-old group were suggesting that jobs weren't going to return versus, say, 37% in under 35s. That's interesting. And is that global as well? So they're the figures for Australia, but the trend was the same globally. What we saw in Australia was we're probably less pessimistic about the return of jobs. So the equivalent figures for globally were that 53% of 45 to 74 year olds thought jobs won't return versus uh, 45% of those under 35. That's fascinating. Now, tell us about your methodology here. How did you do it? So essentially it's uh, a thousand people online. uh, And at the moment we're tracking it across 16 countries. So we recognize that in some countries, the online sample is probably more representative of the middle and upper class, but certainly in most of the countries we're doing it, including Australia, an online sample these days is is pretty representative. And uh, and so, but how did, how did you actually do it in terms of assessing the answers? So we, again, the the questionnaire that we cover is quite big and wide ranging. It looks at attitudes and behaviours. So there's lots of different questions where we'll simply ask for a yes or no or different times where we'll ask for a statement and ask for agreement. So, you know, as I said, in terms of that businesses reopening, we gave people two options. We said, which, which is closer to your point of view? That's that idea of being at risk or not being at risk uh, and a similar proportion with that sort of job split question. And which countries were involved? So in this latest piece, and we've been tracking across 16 countries, I think for most of May, and certainly that continues through June, Uh, It's Australia, Brazil, Canada, Germany, Spain, France, India, Italy, Japan, Mexico, Russia, South Korea, UK, the US and South Africa. So a pretty broad spectrum. That's a very, very broad spectrum. And what's interesting is the actual scepticism about returning to work. Yeah, absolutely. And and I I think it comes from a lot of places as people are seeing a lot of jobs being lost, but also because I guess I think it ties in with some of the data we have where we ask people about well, how long do you think it is before we return to the normal? And certainly what we're seeing is that a lot of people are saying, look, a return to normal is going to take a lot of time. So our latest data says globally in Australia, you know, 36% of people are talking about, well, a return to normal six months to a year. Another quarter are saying one to two years. And then you've got another 10% saying it's two years or longer or never. So I think that's partly what drives that scepticism about jobs returning because no one's seeing a very quick turnaround out of, out of the pandemic economically, at least. Well, that's actually quite fascinating because of what it means. Well, to me, it suggests that we're not going to have a snapback at all. Uh, that uh, obviously businesses are not going to return to normal if people feel that. 
Well, again, I said it's, it's part of this tension because we have other data where we talk to people about, well, clearly they're expressing a desire to return to normal. So we've got another piece where we, we talk to people about, well, will you return to your old ways or, you know, are things going to change? And so if you look at Australia there, 53% are predicting that they're only really going to make small changes to their daily lives. They're going to be mostly the same. And another quarter are saying, look, I'll do everything exactly the same. So there's this clear desire to get back, but there's some anxiety about doing it. And there's some anxiety about uh, what's going to happen. And certainly we're seeing a lot of discussion in the media about a lot of the government help and assistance. And there's clearly a lot of nervousness in the community about when things get rolled back and what's going to happen when they do. Well, that actually sends quite a clear signal to governments around the world about how to handle this, doesn't it? And to central banks. Absolutely. And I, th and I think the other signal we're seeing for, for businesses and particularly retailers is there is this kind of this nervousness about returning. And so, I think what the community wants from both government but also from business is some messaging and some reassurance that, that we know how to get through this and we know how to keep you safe as we do return to it. So what is it the government and, and business can tell us they're doing? What are the steps they're taking that can reassure us that it is okay to come out of our houses, it is okay to return to restaurants and, and shops and how do you keep reassuring us that that's going well and that's okay? It also puts a lot of pressure on businesses, doesn't it? Uh, because obviously they want to return to business. They want to start making money again. But it's going to put a lot of pressure on them to get their own house in order to put in some measures to handle this return, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I know, I know just from our sort of uh, business and, and talking to others that, you know, there's lots of government guidelines. There's lots of government help out there that's, 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 giving businesses information on what are the steps you need to take, what are the things you need to keep people in safe. So the New South Wales government, for instance, is looking as a sort of a certification process that allows businesses to go through and look at what are the steps they need to take, what are their plans, and that can allow them to get sort of accredited and, you know, have posters and things in, in their windows that show people that this, you know, is a COVID safe business. And I think those kind of things help businesses, but also help, help citizens in that sort of reassurance space. And it's also going to put, put a lot of pressure on businesses to start being more creative in how they're handling it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even with, um, with even some of our larger businesses, you know, the issue becomes consistency. How do you get those behaviours and things happening across all of your sites and all of your businesses? And, and what steps do you put in place to make sure that that consistency is happening? Because again, you know, I, I see it myself and you talk to people out there that, the experience they get in one particular branded store uh, in one place is very different to the experience they get maybe 20 minutes down the road or, or half an hour on the other side of Sydney. So that sort of raises questions again and sort of feeds back to this nervousness. Indeed, indeed. And uh, so, you know, you're going to have all sorts of businesses putting in all sorts of new and different measures, like, for example, taking phone numbers of different clients, for example, to let them know when they're ready. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, what, and what kind of internal processes will they see? Well, you know, will, you, will we see more businesses embarking on things like mystery shopping or auditing of their locations just as a way of sort of keeping track of what's happening and getting a sense of getting a real time sense of whether things are being adhered to? 
Indeed, and uh, and you could imagine uh, what it, what's like for people working in big office towers and taking the elevators up, and they can only take the elevator up with, say, two people in the elevator, and it could take hours to get up. Absolutely, and I think, and you know, I think that's the thing we're seeing again with there's this desire to get back, but a lot of people at the moment are saying it's working well to work from home and I'm happy working from home and I, and I don't really see a huge need to return to the office, particularly those people who are in huge office buildings. So first of all, you've got to battle through the public transport system and find a way to get to work with limited numbers on public transport. And then you've got to find a way to get into your office. So I think you're going to see a great variety in depending on people's working situations. Well, that actually raises a very important Point, and two very important points, I think. First, we're probably going to see more people working from home. We'll see, and we'll see a slower return to normal. And it won't be a quick snapback. And we won't see a quick recovery from this. Again, it, you know, it's difficult to say. I guess, you know, there's some science to say that, you know, the economy's ahead of where they thought it might be at the moment. Um, Certainly, I think there's a desire for people, you know, the numbers we have is there's a slow proportion of people saying they want to just full-time work from home. I think the numbers we're getting are, are, are talking about there's a desire to work from home a bit more. And I think what it's led to is we've all got an understanding that we've probably got more flexibility in how we work than how we thought previously. But yes, as you say, I think if we're working I think the experience from all of us is when you're working from home versus working in the office, you're probably spending more time at the computer screen. You're moving around less. You know, you're probably not getting out into your local store to buy lunch and do those things, and, and all of that's going to impact. And, of course, you're being more productive working from home. Mostly. I think most people are. I guess I certainly think now that schools have returned back, I think we're all certainly feeling more productive working from home. Well, David, that's been fascinating stuff, and thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. Thanks very much, Leo. And now let's talk to IFM Investors Chief Economist, Alex Joyner. Alex, uh, it looks like uh, we're in recession. The world is joining into recession, and uh, what's your view of it? Yeah, I think you know, last week's GDP figures for Australia really confirmed that we are in recession. That's not surprising to anyone. I guess what was surprising in the GDP numbers was just how well the Australian economy had performed in the first quarter of this year, given the setbacks in economies that we've seen around the world. The Australian economy contracted 0.3 percentage points in the first quarter. And you compare that to other sort of similar economies, you know, the, the US economy went back 1.3%, Germany debt back 2.2%. And then some of the big declines that you saw in Spain, Italy and France, all sort of down over three and a quarter percent. So in that context, Australia has done relatively well, where I think most economists thought that we'd see a little bit more downside. Not only did Australia have the bushfires that sort of characterised the, the the late part of 2019 and into into 2020, but we also, you know, we were really on the on the forefront of the initial decline in economies where you know the Chinese economy stopped and then that international tourist and student flow stopped as well. So there was a case to be made that Australia would be weak. Now I'm not saying it, it was in any way good. But the numbers were a little bit better than perhaps we expected and perhaps what we could have hoped for when you compare us to our global cohorts. I think the GDP numbers did, however, highlight some of the issues in the Australian economy that have been prevalent for many, many quarters. The, the fact that the private sector is still very weak, obviously, uh, and, and is going to get weaker. 
the public sector still doing the bulk of the legwork and small businesses weren't in a good position going into this crisis. Small business incomes or gross mixed income, as we call it, uh, as economists, had actually been negative for seven consecutive quarters. So the Australian economy wasn't going gangbusters at all uh, heading into this crisis. And, and obviously we're slipping into recession. The narrative around that is actually getting a little bit more positive. Uh, if you believe Phil Lowe and the Reserve Bank, but we're still going to see a material contraction in the second quarter. And, and some of the numbers are now coming through on that. Uh, retail sales very weak. You know, building approvals will decline. Housing finance is a bit softer. So there's still that narrative of weakness, but you know, some people are now trying to identify green shoots and uh, wherever they may be. And that, that is, you know, what we're trying to do as the, as the restrictions are going to be lifted. Well, there's a lot of talk about the quarter after next uh, we'll be picking up after that. What's your view about that? Well, that's right. That's what we're all doing as economists uh, and even the market, I guess. The market's looking through a lot of the weakness in uh, earnings that it expects for the second quarter and, and probably for 2020 as a whole. We're sort of looking through to what might be better. Uh, we know that Q2 is going to be very, very bad. Now, like I said earlier, if Phil Lowe's right, it might not be as bad as expected, but it's still going to be the most material contraction that we've seen uh, since the Great Depression. There's, there's probably no doubt about that. But Q3 will no doubt be better because the, the restrictions are going to be lifted. So there will be a little bit more economic activity than there was in Q2, just because the public health restrictions have been lifted. But to expect a material snapback and everything's going to be right, well, I think that's a, a bit too much to hope for. I think not only will the restrictions be lifted in a very gradual way, I think people's behaviours will go back to normal in a very, very gradual way. People aren't just going to be going out there and doing the things that they normally did uh, in the way they normally did them before the crisis. And this is particularly people that might be vulnerable. Now, older people, uh, I know my, from my personal experience, you know, I've got a newborn child, uh, the advice there is to, to, to be very, very cautious in the first four to six weeks. So, you know, I won't be behaving the way that I, that I might have in the economy before COVID-19 took place. Then we have the other things that just won't open up as quickly, and that's domestic travel uh, on aircraft and then international travel. And these are the things that are going to take an extended period to come back. International tourists, international students, they're not going to be coming back until borders are open globally. And that's not a prospect for any time soon. And then you have the additional pressures now where uh, Australia is in between the US and China with the geopolitical uh, context around that. And, and, you know, Australia is under a little bit of pressure getting a little bit of negativity from, from the Chinese in terms of some of our exports and some of the prospects for uh, tourists and students to come to Australia and that might further hamper that uh, that recovery when it comes but that that's going to be the that's going to be the 12 to 18 24 month story Q3 will be a rebound but I think it will be a, a pretty moderate one well the issue too is that we are a trading nation and we are dependent on America China and uh, and other nations to come back and uh, there's no guarantee that they will. Well, that's right. We did get a little bit better news out of the US than, than we thought with Friday night's payrolls data. People were expecting a, a, an unemployment rate near near 20%. It didn't get there. It actually declined. We saw a 2.5 million increase in payrolls when we we're going to see a big uh, dislocation. Now, there's some question around how the survey was taken and you know that might be a little bit good that good news might be a little bit too good to be true but like you say we are in a global economy so 
Uh, we need everyone to be recovering uh, at the same time. Now, China, they will probably still take our iron ore, hopefully. So there is a little bit of a, a silver lining there. But I think the, the thing is here is that, you know, the Australian dollar is rallying as, as risk assets have rallied. Uh, you know, so we, we've seen stock markets, I think overnight, you know, the, the S&P 500, uh, the NASDAQ in the US, they're basically where they were before this crisis. Uh, or a little bit above now. So uh, those risk assets have rallied and the Australian dollar has rallied with them. Now the Australian dollar at 70 cents, you know, we haven't even had a chance while we're in the low 60s to get that exports drive from the low currency. We, we haven't had that because you know, markets have been dislocated. And, and the thing that really the Australian dollar was adding fuel to was services exports. That's tourism and education. And obviously those markets were closed. So that tailwind out of, out of a uh, economic downturn from a low currency that we usually get simply won't be as strong because the currency is rallied and, and the global environment is still weak. And we need sort of everyone to be uh, recovering at once. But I think, uh, you know, as, as restrictions are lifted in, in a dislocated fashion around the world, you know, different recoveries will happen at different times. So, you know, we're all going to be trying to come out of this at the same time, but, you know, obviously there's going to be winners and, and losers out of this. And sort of the Australian dollars is, is, is getting to a level where you might argue the Reserve Bank is, is getting a little bit worried about it. And it's certainly added fuel to the fire of the, the negative interest rates debate where people, you know, despite feel like, consistently saying the Reserve Bank himself, the board has no appetite for negative interest rates. The currency rising is one aspect of the debate that, that keeps that, that um, argument alive, I guess, in, in, in the mind of many market economists. But you know, negative interest rates, I think that's a little bit too early to speculate that they're going to occur. But you know, these might be the things that need to be considered if we're going to keep the Australian dollar at a level that we're comfortable with to you know, take advantage of the global recovery. Now, I mean, there's lots of talk about a U-shaped recovery or a V-shaped recovery. My feeling is we're going to have what I would call a Rocky Mountain recovery where you have peak, peak, valley, peak, valley, valley, peak, etc. for some time. Yeah, there's certainly an argument for that. You know, we don't know whether there'll be material outbreaks, uh, whether the virus will resurface. You know, we're, we're sort of almost claiming victory over the virus and we're opening up the restrictions. But uh, should we see the virus re-emerge, then, you know, those lockdowns might come back and, and then we, we see some further dislocation in the economy. But uh, like I said earlier, I, I think it's just going to be a very, very lumpy economy as different sectors of, of activity open up. You know, restaurants open up, but they open up in a very slow way. Domestic travel opens up, but it opens up in a very slow and dislocated way. And you can only do this and you can only do that. So, you know, there is some case for some volatility around, around the recovery. And I, I really think that this is why governments will need to keep support and stimulus in place. Uh, you know, there is uh, a lot of talk in the media around, you know, the, the, the uh, JobKeeper allowance for childcare workers uh, being uh, taken away and free childcare being taken away and these sorts of things. And that's the gut, something the government feels it needs, it has to do. But if we get a, a modest recovery, the, the, the likes that I'm thinking of, then the unemployment rate really won't go down that quickly. You know, we're still going to see an unemployment rate in Australia, probably of 10%. What will keep that from rising is the JobKeeper allowance. And, and the JobKeeper allowance hopefully will mean that that comes down a little bit quicker than than we otherwise would expect in a normal recession. 
and that the absence of population growth would be something that keeps the labour market performing well and and the unemployment rate coming down uh, a little bit quicker than we would normally expect after a recession. But we know from the 80s and 90s experience in Australia and the US experience in the GFC that it takes quite a long time for the unemployment rate to come down. And, you know, I think that that's going to be something that keeps people cautious out there. Uh, and again, adds a little bit of volatility to, to any recovery path because people are going to be saving more, uh, their job certainty is going to be less, uh, and they're going to be spending in a different pattern than they, than they previously have. Uh, and all the while, uh, incomes growth is going to be weak. Incomes growth was weak before this virus took hold. Uh, incomes growth will be weak after it. Um, you know, we're expecting wages to be growing at 2% year on year for an extended period of time. And that doesn't really give people the, the wherewithal to get ahead in real terms. You know, they're not really getting ahead of their bills uh, when the wages are only going at 2%. So again, the household consumption outlook, uh, which is the, the vast bulk of the economy, it, it looks uncertain and, and adds to that narrative that the, the overall recovery will be pretty patchy and, and, and pretty measured. Well, Alex, those are wise words and we'll all be watching it very closely. And thank you very much for your time. Thanks a lot, Liam. So what's happening in the news? Well, the IMF will probably lower its 2020 economic growth estimates from its April forecast of a 3% contraction, said Managing Director Kristalina Georgieva. A new outlook will be released on June the 24th, and it's expected to reflect extremely challenging conditions, Georgieva said. And US President Donald Trump is preparing a US $1 trillion, that's $1.4 trillion Aussie, infrastructure investment plan, according to reports by Bloomberg. The big-ticket plan would not only target investments in traditional infrastructure like roads, it would also provide funding for 5G and rural broadband. Should the proposed spending be approved, it would add to the US $3 trillion in stimulus approved by Congress in May. It would provide an additional boost for the world's biggest economy at a time when the Federal Reserve has expressed some wariness about the pace of recovery, while investors have been rattled by an uptick in the number of new COVID-19 cases. And salmon exporters, including from Tasmania, are now in Beijing's sights after a fresh outbreak of coronavirus cases at a produce market, sending global markets into a pessimistic mood. Beijing has ordered all schools to close in an escalation of containment measures as it struggles to halt a new coronavirus outbreak which has already spread to neighbouring provinces. The Chinese capital lifted its emergency response to level two and said that people will have to be tested for the virus before being allowed to leave the city. The total reported number of infections has reached 106, according to the National Health Commission, while cases linked to the Beijing cluster have already been reported in two provinces in China's northern region. The new breakout in Beijing coronavirus cases has raised further questions over the potential for a second wave and highlighted the difficulties that will be found worldwide when attempting to resume economic activity while minimising the spread of the virus. Parts of Beijing are on wartime footing against a second wave of coronavirus infections after a spike in cases that Chinese authorities have linked to imported salmon sold at the city's biggest seafood and produce market. In a potential blow to Australia's seafood industry, Salmon sales are being halted throughout China and imports will be temporarily blocked. Supermarkets and restaurants stopped selling salmon on Sunday after local media reported the virus was detected on a shopping board used to slice imported salmon. Tasmania's Tassel and Huan Aquaculture groups sell salmon to China. However, Chile, Norway and Denmark account for the bulk of the country's salmon imports. The potential for a new surge of infections in China where the virus originated, has raised the prospect of new lockdowns that could derail the country's fledgling economic recovery. Equity markets have also been unsettled by a jump in US coronavirus cases. 
Since the first US case for new coronavirus was reported on January the 20th in Washington state, more than 2.1 million people have been diagnosed with clusters around New York City, Seattle and in California. There have been 116,851 deaths in the US. And at 40.0, the Ipsos Global Consumer Confidence Index for June is down 1.3 points from last month, 8.7 points compared to its pre-pandemic level of January and almost 7 points lower than at any time since its creation in March 2010. However, the past month drop in the index is significantly less steep than those seen between March and April, which is 4.1 points, and between April and May, or 3.1 points, suggesting that the decline in consumer sentiment is bottoming out. The Global Consumer Confidence Index is the average of each of the 24 world market's national indices. It's based on a monthly survey of more than 17,500 adults under the age of 75 across 24 countries, conducted on Ipsos Global Advisor online platform. Between May and June, 12 of the 24 countries show a drop of at least 1.5 points in their national index. However, no country shows its index falling by more than 4 points, while 5 countries show no change or some improvement, including Japan, up 0.1, South Korea, 0.4, Italy, 0.6, China, 0.8, and Australia, at 2. And the latest payroll data from the Australian Bureau of Statistics and Australian Taxation Office shows there was a 0.4% increase in the number of payroll jobs in the week ending May 30. ABS Head of Labor Statistics, John Jarvis, said jobs in the accommodation and food services sector increased by 5% in May, but remained 29.1% lower than in mid-March. Payroll jobs worked by females increased by 1.4% through May, compared with 0.4% for males. Based on the number of jobs at the end of April, the 1% increase in jobs over May equates to about 124,000 jobs being added. And federal and state governments will fast-track approvals for 15 major infrastructure projects, including the Brisbane-Melbourne Inland Rail and an electricity interconnector to Tasmania, as part of a push to kick-start the economic recovery from the coronavirus recession. Approvals for mining projects in Western Australia are set to be fast-tracked as part of a push to accelerate billions of dollars' worth of infrastructure projects across the country, despite controversy over the destruction of Indigenous heritage sites. Fifteen projects worth a collective $72 billion in public and private investment will be accelerated, Prime Minister Scott Morrison revealed in an address to the Committee for Economic Development of Australia's State of the Nation Forum. The Brisbane to Melbourne inland rail project and road and rail and iron projects in Western Australia are among those listed. Other projects include the Marinus link between Tasmania and Victoria, the Olympic Dam extension in South Australia, as well as emergency town water projects in New South Wales. Under a bilateral model between the Commonwealth and State and Territory Government, joint assessment teams will work to slash approval times for the projects worth a collective $72 billion in public and private investment. The speech is likely to alarm environmental groups who see deregulation as code for riding roughshod over environmental approvals. The government is now undertaking a statutory review of the 1999 Environment Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act. And Prime Minister Scott Morrison has warned Australians will need to tighten their belts as the nation recovers from the coronavirus pandemic. Mr Morrison has warned keeping wage subsidies and other coronavirus economic supports in place for too long will damage the supercharged growth Australia needs to escape the crisis. Addressing a Committee for Economic Development of Australia virtual conference on Monday, Mr Morrison said the budget this year and next would show the largest deficits in history. He said programs such as the $70 billion JobKeeper wage subsidies scheme have been vital to protect the economy in the short term, but longer term, the budget had to be brought back to balance. Warning that spending would have to be reined in to help tackle what he said would be record deficits this year and the next, 
Mr Morrison gave his strongest indication yet that the JobKeeper and JobSeek packages would have to start winding up around the legislative expiry at the end of September. We cannot say to Australians that government or anyone else ultimately will be in a position to ensure that every job can be saved and every business can be saved. That is unrealistic, he told Parliament. We will seek to do what we can as we have with the unprecedented support, but I'm not going to make false promises to the Australian people. We have cushioned the blow, but we cannot prevent the blow. Mr Morrison said the economy will have to grow by almost 4% annually for the next five years to recover from the coronavirus recession. Mr Morrison said it would take two years for the Australian economy to get back to its pre-coronavirus level. Fully recovering the lost growth would require five years of economic growth, at least one percentage points above trend. Trend growth is currently estimated at 2.75% per year. The last time Australia went close to such an extended consecutive period of above trend growth was in the 1960s under the Menzies and Holt governments, a time also marked by high population growth. An Australian Council of Trade Union Secretary, Sally McManus, says blue-collar jobs alone won't get Australia out of its pink recession, in which women have taken a substantially larger economic hit than men. She's urged the government to not forget female workers affected by the coronavirus lockdown in the wake of the commitment of $688 million to the male-dominated construction sector through its home builder program. Speaking at the State of the Nation Forum hosted by the Committee for Economic Development of Australia, Ms McManus said the pandemic and associated shutdowns had a greater impact on women and the government's economic response needed to address that. About 55% of workers in the hospitality and retail industries are women, while more men than women work in the arts and recreation sector. However, at the height of the pandemic in April, government data showed that across the economy, about 50% more employed women than men were not getting any shifts. And international travel to Australia stopped almost dead in April as COVID-19 restrictions sent overseas visitor arrival numbers plunging 99.7%, the largest fall on record. Australia also recorded its largest ever decrease in overseas travel with the number of Australians returning home after a short-term trip down 98.1% from the same time last year. The plunge was felt across the country, with the numbers for all states down 97.7% or more. The number of people arriving with international student visas in April dropped by 44,470, or close to 100%, compared with the same month last year. Overseas visitor arrivals to Australia decreased 51.9% in March, compared with February, to just 307,900 trips. And one in five home loan deferral customers are in strife, leaving banks in trouble. Major banks are bracing for a savage increase in problems in their massive mortgage portfolios after preliminary investigations suggest up to one in five home loan borrowers who have asked for a repayment holiday during the coronavirus crisis are in deep financial strife. According to the Australian Banking Association, banks granted home loan deferrals to 480,727 customers whose total borrowing come to $173.4 billion. This suggests that some 96,000 borrowers with mortgages worth more than $35 billion will end up in the bank's intensive care units. In March, the country's largest home lenders allowed borrowers who have been thrown into financial stress by the coronavirus to defer their mortgages for up to six months. The major banks have already begun the process of contacting these customers to see whether they would like to begin loan repayments, with a particular emphasis on the 20% who are believed to be in financial difficulty. These borrowers have typically lost their jobs as a result of the coronavirus, which means they no longer earn enough income to meet their mortgage payments. And Australia was already hurtling towards becoming a cashless economy prior to the arrival of coronavirus, but the pandemic has rapidly sped up the trend, according to the Reserve Bank data. In May, Australian ATM withdrawals fell 30% on the previous month and were down 40% compared to a year ago. 
For some retail chains, cash transactions now make up less than 10% of takings. The move was expedited by stores and cafes ramping up contactless payments during the pandemic, retailers say. And one of the global insurers that has covered construction on the Adani Carmichael coal mine in central Queensland said it is reviewing its corporate policy on climate change as the losses on the controversial project approach $800 million. Accounts lodged with the corporate regulator this month show Adani's Australian arm made a $279 million loss for the year ending March 31, bringing its cumulative losses, including write-offs and currency movements since its inception, to $794 million. In the accounts, Adani warned the coronavirus pandemic could have a significant impact on the valuation of the Carmichael mine and increase its dependence on its parent company in India. The accounts have surfaced as Bermuda-based Aspen Reinsurance, which this week was revealed to have insured work on the mine, signalled it would review its policies over projects that contribute to climate change. We are currently reviewing our underwriting appetite around fossil fuel, but cannot comment further at this time, the spokesman said. Aspen understands the importance of the environmental, social and governance issues. Aspen was one of the four global insurance companies pay for underwriting works on Gadani's Carmichael coal mine and rail projects. The other three, Liberty, HDI and AXL, all have said they will not provide insurance on the project after their current residual policies come to an end. Moves by insurers to rule out covering fossil fuel projects may further limit the options for Adani to insure the mine and could add to the doubts over the project's financial viability. And half of workers aren't looking forward to returning to the office, and two-thirds say they won't feel safe being back in the workplace when COVID-19 restrictions lift. More than four in five workers, 88%, say they have the resources and equipment to keep working from home if they need to, and 84% believe they do their work as effectively and remotely as in the workplace, according to new research that reveals some workers feel hesitant about going back to the office. CultureRamp co-founder and chief executive Didier Elzinger said many workers don't feel safe about returning to the office and felt they could be just as productive at home. CultureRamp's research surveyed 32,000 workers about their readiness to return to the workplace, with just 37% saying they would feel safe travelling to the workplace when restrictions lift. And Facebook has flatly rejected calls for it to share advertising revenue with local news organisations, arguing it is not healthy or sustainable for tech companies to shoulder the burden of propping up the media. The ACCC is developing a mandatory code of conduct to have tech companies pay for content they host. Facebook said it is already investing in local news and that it is not necessary for it to pay more. In a submission to the Australian Competition Consumer Commission, the social media giant argued there was already a healthy competitive rivalry between tech companies and news publishers when vying for advertising dollars, and it was heavily investing in Australia's media landscape. In April, the federal government gave the ACCC the job of developing a mandatory code of conduct to address what it described as a power imbalances between Australian news media businesses and Google and Facebook. And that's it for this week. And next week I'll be talking to Gavin Ward, CEO of Office National, looking at how businesses are coming up with some ingenious ways to entice staff back to work. This include perks, creative activity, wellness equipment, elaborate desktop accessories and parties and more. And I'll be talking to Indeed economist Callum Pickering about the latest unemployment figures. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at TalkingBiz, on Facebook and on LinkedIn. And if you want, leave a comment. Wishing you all a safe and healthy week and looking forward to bringing you Talking Business next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 